Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that so very much. Matthew chapter 2, if you'll join me there, Matthew chapter number 2. Thank you for all the music. Teenagers, thank you so much for your ministry this morning. Appreciate it so much. Handbell Choir, thank you, and everybody else had a part in the music. And uh, I was sitting there listening to Handbell Choir. I was thinking, we really should have done this next week. Handbell Choir on Christmas, and then the hymn afterwards, we could have sang, I Heard the Bells on Christmas. Okay, forget it. And dad joke, sorry. But uh, nonetheless, beautiful. Thank you so very much. And uh, maybe you'll still be hearing them, amen, And uh, on Christmas Day. We're glad you're here. I mean that. I know, don't take it for granted. I know it's a busy time. Even so, with all the things going on here at church, I'm grateful for your attendance and being faithful to the Lord's house. Morning's message entitled this, More Than Just a Baby. More than just a baby. As we think about Christmas morning a week from now, and as we think about the grand Christmas story that everything centers around, we're going to take a few moments and consider the perspective of many of the leading characters of Christmas. In other words, we're going to think about and just ponder for a moment, what did they see, what did they think when they saw that baby in a manger, and maybe even before that, for some of them, who were they seeking? Who were they seeking? Because I'll tell you this, I would submit to you this morning that I truly believe that almost every one of them, in fact, I do think it was all of them, they sought or at least saw something much greater than just a baby. We'll see it as we peruse Scripture and kind of take in the account. Let's start where most of us think about, maybe, and one of the groups that we think about. Let's talk about the wise men for a second. They traveled very far and very long uh, distance. Uh, just to find this baby. And they would find him uh, several days later in a house after his birth and, and such. We'll s- speak of that here in a moment. But do you remember they came to, to Jerusalem first? Matthew chapter 2, they came to Jerusalem. And uh, they started, obviously, and made somewhat of a stir in the city, you can imagine. And as they did so, uh, they proclaimed what they were doing, that they were seeking somebody. Do you remember who they said they were seeking? The king of the Jews. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 2, if you will, with me. Notice what it says. Uh, Verse number 1, they've come, Herod the king is there, and and, uh, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. We know the rest of the story, right? I mean, from prophecies, certainly they've, they've read about and understood there's a king that is to be born. I love that thought. This is not just a baby in the, in the manger. This is not just a, a leader of some sort, a prophet. This is a king. They understood that, and we know the rest of the story, how it plays out. They came to the house where the family was in the days after the birth, and um, they followed that star to the very doorstep where Jesus Christ was. It's an amazing, miraculous thought. And as they came into that house, you remember what they did, and we certainly are well aware of their gifts and gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but as they brought those gifts, they, they came down and they worshiped him. And so we know, culturally speaking, in that day, li- likely they put themselves prostrate before this baby. And I can just imagine it being in a house, maybe Mary was holding baby Jesus, and all of a sudden these strangers come in and uh, certainly introduce themselves, and, and they fall before Mary holding this baby. Much as someone would do is they come into a throne room before a king. Now, you and I, we might walk by the nursery and we see someone laying down on the floor in front of a baby. We think that's a little odd, a little weird. But they did not think that. Why? Because, may I just point out to them, these wise men, this, they saw him as so much more than just a baby. They saw him as a king. 
as a king of kings. All right, we move on from the wise men. It's going to be a quick perusal, okay? The angel of the Lord during this time, especially in the months leading up to Mary's birth, and, or excuse me, Christ's birth, Mary giving birth to Christ, the angel of the Lord was really busy, wasn't he? And uh, a busy time of year for him. And uh, just a chapter earlier there in Matthew chapter 1, what does the angel of the Lord appear to? He appears to Joseph. Uh, Mary's a spouse husband, the, the Joseph the carpenter. And uh, you remember when the angel came, he was already aware that Mary was pregnant and uh, he was struggling with it. What do I do? How do, do I, I put her away privately? Do I make a public example of her? What, what do I do with, with Mary? Because now she has been found to be with child. And he's struggling through this. And the angel appeared to him and gave him a clear message. And certainly as he always starts out, don't fear. And then we come to verse 21 of chapter 1, just a chapter before. Notice what it says. And she, speaking of Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Okay, we can safely assume that when the angel appeared to Joseph, it is not something that he soon forgot. It's the kind of thing that would stick with you when an angel shows up, especially in that day with there having been 400 plus years of an absence of God sending an angel to speak or give revelation. So we can safely assume that Joseph hung on to this for a long time. He did not soon put it away or forget about it. And we can imagine from that day forward to the moment that baby Jesus was born that these things bounced around in his head. Man, I can't believe that angel said that I'm supposed to call him Jesus. And he, he's going to be the savior uh, of the world of uh, sins. Save people from their sins. And you can imagine that Joseph and as that bounced around in his head and he was thinking you know in that day you typically named your children especially male children after someone in your family you kind of carried on the lineage and the the heritage that way and so he's thinking wow i'm supposed to call him jesus Jesus." and we don't have that in our family or anything else and yet the the very meaning of it being the salvation of jehovah jehovah's salvation I can imagine that first time that after that baby was born and the excitement of the birth died down. Maybe Joseph was there in that cave or whatever place that she gave birth. He's holding him and I can just imagine he gazes into the eyes of this little baby and beyond the normal joy that floods the heart of a father that most of us know about, there's a thought that came to him. A remembrance as he's thinking and pondering the fact that this baby's name is going to be Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, the promised Savior. You see, he, he knew as he gazed in the eyes of baby Jesus that he was so much more than just a baby. He alone would be the Savior of sinners. In a similar vein, there was another man, <laughs> Zacharias. The father of John the Baptist, the husband of Elizabeth, who was the cousin to Mary. And the angel of the Lord also appeared to him while he was working in the temple. He's going about his duties, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Luke chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 11. In fact, that'll be the only verse, kind of set the table for you and I. Luke chapter 1, in verse number 11. We've seen that. Those wise men were seeking the king of the Jews. We've seen that Joseph was specifically told this is the Asus, Jesus, the Jehovah's salvation for all men, for every sinners. Now, Zacharias, 
he's here, and this angel appears to him. Verse number 11, notice it. And, uh, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Uh, he was doing the incense there. We understand that according to that office, his lot, verse 9, was to burn the incense when he went into the temple. And so all of a sudden this angel appears there, gets his attention, and the angel goes on to do what? He foretells the birth of his son. Now, John the Baptist, and that was a miraculous birth. We know that Zacharias was up in years, and uh, uh, both he and his wife, okay, probably 48, 47, something like that. And Just kidding, that's my, okay, anyway, you'll get it later. All right, no, that much older than that, and uh, they were going to have a child, right? And uh, that's what the angel said, you're going to have a birth, and that can't happen. And, and yet in that, not only does he foretell the birth of John the Baptist, but this angel goes on, he, he talks about the role that John the Baptist will play. And we read in John chapter 1 for the, the teen special about that role, prepare the way of the light. And uh, that was going to be his role. And beyond that, he also, he also spoke about Jesus Christ and uh, who he was in this pronouncement. Well, Zacharias didn't believe his, uh, his, his speech was taken away for that time. You know the story. And as time came and went, John the Baptist was born. And Zacharias, his, uh, uh, his tongue was loose, and he named his son just like he was supposed to, and he then went on to prophesy being filled with the Holy Ghost, the Scripture says. And as Zacharias prophesied, not only did he speak of John the Baptist, his role you play, but he also praised God for sending Jesus Christ. And I would have us notice today that he, he calls Jesus Christ the horn of salvation for Israel. He is the redeemer of the nation Israel. The deliverer of God's people. Look with me down at verse 68 and 69. It's a large chapter, Luke number 1. But look at verse 68 with me, if you will. Blessed be the Lord God. This is Zacharias. This is him prophesying, being filled with the Holy Ghost, a song of worship or a declaration of praise. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I love that because Zacharias sees something different. He understands that this one given, yes, yeah, well, Joseph understood Jesus, the Savior of sinners, but Zacharias being a Jew, he understood this is the long-awaited redeemer of God's people, Israel. He would set things right. He, God has visited. He has fulfilled his promise. This is a fulfillment of the promise that God gave all the way back to Abraham. And this is a wondrous thing. Now, I'll tell you, many of you will gather with family this Christmas. You'll, you'll have grand reunions. You'll set eyes on maybe some family members that you haven't seen before. Maybe there's a baby or a child you've never seen. And you'll get to, you'll get to see that baby maybe for the first time. Can, can you imagine what it would have been like? When Elizabeth and Zacharias and Joseph and Mary and their two new children got together? What a, what, what a thought that would have been, and, or what a scene that would have been, and the thoughts going through their head. And both have shared the prophecies concerning their children, how John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And, and I can just imagine as that transpired, uh, I, we don't know. I, it'd be interesting to know, was Jesus still a baby or was he a toddler by this point? Was it after they fled to Egypt? I don't know. We, a lot of conjecture we could have on that. But let's just imagine for a moment that they got together. And Zacharias, being a priest, could you imagine as he first, for the first time, laid eyes on this horn of salvation? He saw for the first time the promised one from God. You think his mind would be simply filled with the thoughts that 
This child is so much more than a baby. He's indeed the Redeemer of Israel. The horn of salvation sent from Jehovah himself. He alone will restore Israel. It wasn't just a baby. Hey, what about those shepherds, right? Prominent role, we, we hear of them often. Their night wasn't just interrupted by one angel. Uh, a whole chorus of angels, right? A multitude of them. I just have always wondered, forgive me, I've just always wondered if there were some shepherds asleep. What a wake-up call that would be, amen? Wake up to the voices of angels. Okay, some of you have children. Maybe you wake up, okay, forget it, not angels. Uh, when they heard the message, what happened? Well, they went to seek a baby. Who did they go to seek, though? This is a great point of, the, of what the angels declared. Certainly, they said, oh, yeah, a Savior is born unto you. We, we understand that. We know the, the verse as well, born unto you. But do you understand the rest of that statement? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, that's a powerful statement. You can look ahead. We're here at the end of chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 11 is where we have that recorded. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can we know for a moment the significance of that entire statement? Yes, a Savior, but this is Christ the Lord. Remember Christ. What does it mean, anointed one? It was that terminology synonymous with the promised Messiah. Uh, No one else uh, described accordingly. The promised Messiah from God. And then that little addition. Christ the Lord. He is the master of all. He he is the possessor and disposer of all things. He is the sovereign of all things. He is Lord. Kyrios. He, He is the Lord of all. This is the Savior, yes. But He is Christ, the Messiah, who is the Lord of all to whom every knee shall bow, to before whom every person will fall in worship. He is much more than just the term Savior says. We can safely assume that these shepherds were most likely Jewish too, as they were gathered there in Bethlehem during this tax season and all the, the Jews went to their uh, home city, uh, the lineage city, to be taxed. So we can assume that they too are Jews. And as Jews, they, they would have been at least a little bit aware, cognizant of the promise of the Messiah from many of the prophecies of the Old Testament. They would have known of the one promised to come down from heaven to deliver their people as their Lord. And as we know the story, these shepherds came. They, they came to see the baby, they, to look upon the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of all. Now, could you imagine them coming? These shepherds, and uh, I don't know about you, but boy, in the times that uh, my wife has given birth, it, it's nice to have that little quiet, the little you know, time by yourself just with the baby and enjoy and get to know that baby and so forth and let the baby get acclimated. Could you imagine having a bunch of shepherds in your hospital room? I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I don't think I like that. But they come in. Now, I do believe that they are already aware that this, this birth, this baby, is not just a normal baby. He is so much more. And I think these shepherds come in, and I think they tell Mary and Joseph, you won't believe what just happened to us on the hillside. They're, they're, Mary and Joseph like, try us. I think we, yeah, we can believe the unbelievable. We can believe the unbelievable, especially when it comes to this baby. 
And they start telling them, you know, this angel appeared, and the whole, the whole sky was filled with angels, and they told us to come and find this big wrapped in swaddling clothes, that he's the Savior, he's the Christ, the Lord. And I don't know, forgive my theatrical th- aspect of it, but maybe Mary and Joseph were standing before the manger in front of it, and all of a sudden they both part, and all of a sudden the shepherd's eyes fall upon that baby in a manger. How about you? You and I will see a baby and we're like, oh, cute. Oh, wow. You know, that, that's, a, that's a handsome little boy. That's a beautiful little girl and so forth. And, uh, and uh, we, we all see babies and we'll maybe have a reaction. But listen, my friend, when you think that you are laying eyes upon the very Savior, Christ the Lord, that'll do something to you. As they laid eyes and gazed upon that baby in a manger, my friend, they, they did not think this was just another baby. From what the angels had said, they understood. And you can think about the thoughts going off in their head. We are not looking at just a baby. We are gazing into the very face of the Messiah. The promised one. The Christ. Here is Christ the Lord. Finally, we turn our attention to the closest person to Christ, no doubt, at least on that time. That's Mary. Gabriel appeared to her, and remember how Gabriel started. You are in a favored position. And I, I, that, that's just irony, isn't it? Because what is Mary going through? And yeah, she's going to face uh, maybe some ostracization from culture, from the Jewish family and things. She's going to face Joseph second-guessing her and wanting to put her away private, privily and so forth. But she's favored because of the baby that she will bear and how she will miraculously of the Holy Ghost conceive a child and that this baby would be different than any other person who ever came into the world. And Would you look with me real quick? I, I think we want to spend a little time here. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. Let's, let's just read in the entirety or a good portion of what he says. Let's note some things too. As, as he comes to Mary, he says this, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I would draw your attention to in this description that we have for us, part of it, um, Jesus Christ is described in several different ways. Many of the ways we've already discovered that he is Jesus and, and such, that he'll be of the throne of David. We, we see all those, and yet there is one that is incorporated here and repeated twice. Did you catch it? The angel says, this, this baby that you will have, he is the son of the highest. 
And then after Mary's question, he repeats this description with different terms. He is the son of God. The very son of God. Now, that's a powerful statement. And may I just submit to you, it is a blasphemous statement if it is not true. He's the son of God. He will be the son of God, this baby born. Now, if you're a mother, that too will stick with you. Could you imagine Mary, what she was thinking as she first held baby Jesus and as she too got over the emotion of the wonderful event of a birth? I just imagine again, she's cradling that baby. As you like to do with a newborn, maybe she's got him wrapped in the swaddling clothes, uh, swaddling clothes excuse me, keeping him close for warmth and uh, I don't know about you, there's something about getting close to a baby, inches away from that baby. And she gazed into the eyes of this little baby. Do you imagine what she thinks to herself? I am holding not just any baby, I'm holding in my arms the very Son of God. Wow, that's powerful. I just gave birth to Emmanuel, God with us. This little baby is God. Man, what an amazing thought. Every single one of these folks came and, and seeking this baby. They were told something about this baby, that he was just so much more than just any baby. Now this morning, I would like for you and I to not only reflect on what we've just heard, but I would also like you and I to consider that through these declarations and these participants in the Christmas story, there are several things that God wanted to make clear about Jesus Christ. In that, he was so much more than a baby. We, we've seen he's the promised king of Israel. He is the, the savior of sinners. He is the, the promised redeemer of Israel. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And he is Emmanuel. He is God. He is the son of God. Now, may I just submit to you this morning that this Christmas, many in our country and likely of countries around the world, this Christmas season, they will think about the baby in a manger. We'll, we'll drive by and we'll see it in people's, uh, on their driveways and their front yards or beside their driveways and their front yards. And some might even use it in a decoration in their house and uh, the baby in a manger. There'll be some who sing a Christmas carol or a Christmas story and, and uh, they'll hear singers of old sing about the baby Jesus and it came upon a midnight clear and all these other different stories describing the birth of Christ. But the sad reality is there will be way too many people that to them, Jesus Christ is just simply a baby. He's just another baby this Christmas. Little more than a baby in a manger. They do not see him for all the things the scriptures proclaim him to be. And they certainly do not see him as God. But may I tell you right now, this Christmas, according to God's word, you know what God once proclaimed at Christmas time? Jesus Christ is God. That baby in a manger that we see depicted along the roadside, that we see depicted on a, uh, in a uh, nativity scene or whatever the case, he is God, the very son of God. And in that day, as it is true of this day, there are many that have wrestled with that truth. It is why from the beginning that immediately when Jesus Christ burst upon the scene, uh, his ministry to begin, that God in heaven declared that he indeed is God. You remember 
in a public way at his baptism that John the Baptist was there and performing, God spoke from heaven. And what did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. From the kickoff of the ministry, God says, let me get one thing straight. Jesus Christ is my son. He is God. And it would flow and continue. You see, it was a major thrust of Christ's own ministry here on earth. Time and time again, Jesus Christ claimed to not only be deity, to be a God, he claimed to be the one and only God. I love the the truths and the passages in John chapter (laughs) 8. You know what Christ said in John chapter 8? Before Abraham was, I am. I existed before Abraham, and additionally, to those Jews' ears, guess what? He just used a title that was reserved for God only. And I love that statement, because that wouldn't put somebody like, huh, what did he just say? Before Abraham was, I am? It is why, just a few verses later in John, or swimming back up, and a couple chapters later, he also makes another declaration In John chapter 10 and verse 30, he says this, I and my Father are one. I'm God. And that is why just a few verses later that we read in John chapter 10, you remember the religious leaders then are are fit to be tied. They're angry. They're, they're, They're hateful towards him to the point that they're picking up stones ready to stone Christ in John chapter 10. And as they do so, Uh, they tell us why they have such venom in their hearts towards Christ. Here's the answer they gave in John chapter 10 and verse 33. For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. What kind of blasphemy? What, What is so terrible that you think that he should be stoned to death? Because that thou, being a man, make thyself God. Jehovah. The verses that follow, he kind of banters back and forth. He asks some questions, they ask some questions, and he makes the statement there in those verses afterwards that I am the Son of God. See, it was not only Jesus Christ, but his followers also knew that this was important to understand about Christ, that it needed to be embraced themselves. Later on in the same book, uh, we hear one of the great declarations of one of his followers, of one of his disciples. That's Thomas. You remember John chapter 20 and verse number um, 28? He says this. He addresses Jesus Christ and he addresses it, what? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Later in the New Testament, John's epistle, okay? We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his own Well, there's another John 3.16. It's First John 3.16. And in that same verse that correlates well to John 3.16, First John 3.16 says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Did you catch it? The love of God, because who laid down his life for us? God did. He did. You don't know the love of God? He gave himself. Jesus Christ is God who gave himself for us. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. And then we consider, last but not least, did you hear this passage? There was John. You've already noticed we're in the book of John a lot here these last few moments. John was one of the beloved disciples. Inner circle, the beloved disciple. Is described as uh, resting on, on Christ's breast. The idea of the closeness of fellowship. 
communion. And you see, John, he, he would not just simply declare that, that Jesus was um, God on one occasion. Not just declare that he was the Son of God, but he would do it multiple times. In fact, he would also explain to you and I that he wrote an entire book in the Bible for this purpose. Look with me, if you will, to John chapter 20, the last passage we'll turn to. John chapter 20, if you will. John chapter 20. Look down with me. We'll look at verse 30 and 31. Notice what John writes as he really begins the conclusion of the entire book. Uh, John chapter uh, 21 gives the last few things, but he's really closing out this epistle, this gospel, I should say, excuse me, this book of the Bible. And notice what he says here in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So he's speaking about his book. He, he's talking about all that I've presented and those miraculous events and uh, things that God has performed, Christ, and certainly even things that he spoke. Notice this, verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, and that believing, ye might have life through his name. What's John's purpose? <laughs> well, here's his purpose statement. Here's why he wrote a gospel book in the Bible that records all of Christ's miraculous deeds, his words, his actions, his, all these things, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And why is that so important? Yeah, it begs the question, why... <laughs> Why is that so? Now remember, John, this is his purpose. How do we know it's his purpose? John chapter 1, how does he begin? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So immediately, John tells us his purpose. A good English teacher will tell you, that's a great way to start out the paragraph, right? Purpose statement, your book, start out your book. Here's what we're going to accomplish, and then he ends up with it, kind of summarizing the same thing. This is why we wrote the book, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why is that important? Well, it becomes after that piece of conjunction in this verse, isn't it? He says that believing, ye might have life through his name. You see, what is the most important reason that Jesus is God? Well, he must be God. Because if he was not God, his death would not be sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins and the sins of the entire world. Why is it so important? Why is John emphasizing this truth? Because no man or woman here on earth, born of man and woman, could ever do it. No angel could ever do it. Can I tell you this morning, if Gabriel could pay for your sins, God would have sent him. But he can't. There's another man or woman that walked this earth that was born of both man and woman that could pay for your sins. God probably would have sent them, but they could not do it. And I submit to you this morning, why does John make this the whole purpose of his gospel? Why does the Holy Spirit and God in heaven want us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God? Why? Because a created being, which Jesus would be if he were not God, could not pay the infinite penalty and perfect payment required for sin against an infinite and holy God. You see, my friend, only a perfectly holy God 
could pay such an infinite penalty. Only God, who is sinless and perfect, the perfect Lamb of God, could take away the sins of the world. Only God could die and be resurrected, proving his victory over sin and death. You see, our justification could never be accomplished through anyone else. It had to be God, Jesus Christ. So my friend, this this morning as you and I gaze upon the manger, that baby is so much more. He is the Son of God. And because He is the Son of God, He could do what no one else could. Peter got it. In Acts chapter 4, he is preaching boldly. The church is in its infancy. They have just seen Jesus Christ ascend to heaven. uh, They have gotten it. The, the, The picture has been made crystal clear. And so these disciples are preaching and they're teaching. You remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 4? He made this this statement. Neither is there salvation in any other. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. And I just tell you this morning, when I gaze upon the manger, I sure am thankful that Jesus Christ was the very Son of God. Because it made it possible for you and I to be saved. He alone can save us. That's why it's so crucial that you and I understand just who He is. I close with an illustration. Many of you have heard of H.A. Ironside. His name was Henry. I believe Alan was the middle name, Ironside. But he became known as Harry Ironside. He's a famous preacher. He was the pastor of Moody Church back in the early 1900s when the, the church was solid and, and Bible-based. In the early 1900s, for a number of years, following the First World War, I believe it was, he he preached by invitation at a famous old tent revival meeting. Get this, it took place in New York City. It happened every summer for multiple years. The meetings were designed to give the people of Manhattan a nightly gospel, nightly gospel service during the hot months when many of the churches were closed altogether or discontinued their evening services. At times, there would be 1,500 to 2,000 people gathered night after night in the canvas top. Wouldn't you love to see a revival like that in New York City again? They listened to the gospel of the grace of God proclaimed by well-known evangelists and pastors and preachers from all parts of America and many other continents. And those meetings, year after year, many were brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ including the years in which H.A. Ironside preached. But there was one particular person of that group that H.A. Ironside would describe later in this way. He said, one man stands out as a clear-cut testimony to the power of the Word of God to speak to heart and conscience and reveal the glories of Christ as the Son of God through whose merit salvation is offered to sinful men. He recalls there was a night that he came down off the platform. He just preached, and as he came down off the platform, a man approached him, and the man was a little, little off his description. He, he was a little uh, nervous. He was jerky in his mannerisms, and he came immediately and just started talking right away to H.A. Ironside. He said, I, I, I'd give a lot to believe what you preach tonight. I know you folks get a lot of comfort and peace out of it, 
uh, that peace and comfort that I know nothing of. But I cannot take it in. I am an agnostic. But I will say this. If you can prove to me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I would trust him as my Savior and give my life to him. I sincerely admire the character of Jesus immensely, but I cannot accept his deity. What proof have you, sir, that he is more than a man? That he is the divine Son of God? Ironside considered the man's statement and he replied, Are you you in dead earnest? about this do you promise faithfully to follow him if convinced that he is the son of god yes i'm not afraid to make that promise but how can you prove such a thing i cannot prove it ironside quickly said it is the work of the holy spirit of god to do that he came to reveal the things of christ to an honest heart But if I show you how you may find out for yourself if Jesus is the Son of God, will you yield yourself to him and follow him? The man thought for just a moment. He said, yes, I, I will. If you show me how I may know for certain, I will. Ironside took his Bible and he opened it and he opened it to the very same passage that you and I have just looked at in John chapter 20. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Ironside then went on to point out the tremendous challenge of these verses. How the author declares that this gospel of John was written expressly to show that Jesus is the the Christ, the Son of God. And if someone is stumbling at seeing Christ as the Son of God, let him read the gospel with open mind, desiring to know the truth, and he will have the answer he searches for, Ironside said. Now, will you do this? He said to the man. Take this gospel of John, and he handed him a small gospel of John pamphlet. Take this gospel of John. Get down before God, lift up your heart to him. Tell him you want to know the truth about Jesus Christ, the way of life. Ask him to reveal it to you. And as you read this book, ask him to reveal if Jesus Christ is indeed his son. Tell him you are a sinner and you desire to be saved. Tell him that you will take Christ as your Savior if he shows you that indeed he is the Son of God. The man quickly responded, Ah, there's, there's, there's no use in doing that. I do not believe in prayer. I've never prayed in my life. I'm not even sure there is a God, and I have no way of knowing that the Bible is authentic. In Ironside, in, in classic Ironside mannerisms, he boldly told the man that he was dodging the question. In fact, Ironside went on to call him yellow. In those days, a term for a coward. Sir, you are a coward. You are yellow. You've asked for proof. I've told you how you might obtain it. And you've refused to follow the instructions. To even give it a shot. To even give it a chance. If you were an honest seeker, you would give the plan a go. But you are not. (laughs) The man was taken aback. And he thought for a moment. And he finally acquiesced. And he he said this. I guess you're right after all. I ought to be willing to test it since I've asked you to show me how I may know whether this thing is true or not. I will give it a trial. And so the man went away, and honestly, Ironside said, I, I, I didn't think I'm going to ever see him again. He, he went away, and so Ironside went back to his room, hotel, wherever he was staying, and he got down on his knees, and he prayed 
earnestly to God, beseeching him to lead this needy soul to the saving knowledge of his beloved son. Well, he never saw the man again that, that time in, in New York. In fact, he didn't see him for a year or so. It was somewhere around three years later, Ironside was at the same tent meeting, preaching at the evangelistic meetings. And same kind of situation happened. He was preaching, and the service had ended. He came down off the, the platform. He was beginning to greet some friends in the audience, and a, a bright-faced man came forward. He had a big Bible under his arm, and the man said this, Do you remember me? <laughs> and Ironside was at a great loss. <laughs> he said, I, I seem to recall your face, but... I cannot remember your name. The man said, remember, I, I, I am the man that I told you I'd be a Christian if I could believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And you set me to reading the Gospel of John. But um, Ironside was a little older in that day, and he had told several unbelievers to do the same thing, and it hadn't clicked yet. The man said, do you remember? You called me yellow. And immediately, Ironside remembered. Quickly, with great anticipation, he says, I, I, I recall your conver- your, our conversation. Did you make the test? If so, what happened? The man went on to explain that he had begun the careful reading of the Gospel of John, asking God that if he really existed and if Jesus Christ was his son, make it clear. Night after night, he, he read in that little pamphlet, the, the Gospel of John, not lengthy portions, but a few verses. He pondered every expression carefully. The man said he had not even finished the sixth chapter before the truth of the deity of Jesus Christ, his divine sonship, burst upon his soul with crystal clearness. The man described what happened next. I fell on my knees and I, and I cried, Lord, I know thou art the Son of God and I take thee as my Savior. The joy of the Lord filled his soul as he rested on the revelation given by inspiration. A revelation that he could no longer refuse to acknowledge as the very word of the living God. The man began to explain to Ironside that he, he had become an active Christian. He had joined a local church, a group of believers. And not just that, he had began teaching Bible classes at different firehouses across the city of New York City. Ironside would later describe this encounter, specifically the man this way. Do not miss it. His radiant face told the story of a heart that had found a satisfying portion in Christ and a constant joy in seeking to make him known to others. Do you realize where it all started? Understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when you understand that he is the Son of God, then you can come to the reality that he died for me, which no other person could ever do. And if he died for me, that means that heaven can be my home through what he did on the cross of Calvary. I want to tell you this morning that the same should be said for each one of us. Our faces, if we have trusted in Christ, should radiate with the glory of the realization that he is so, so much more than just a baby. He is Christ. He is the Redeemer of Israel. He is the King of Israel, the glorious Savior of our world, the Son of God. And aren't you thankful you can declare today he is my personal Savior? I've trusted in him. If you can't today, could I encourage you, make today the day of salvation. Likewise, you and I should want all to come and see him today for who he is. 
not just a baby. He is the God of heaven, offering the gift of heaven to all who will believe in him for heaven. Have you done it today? When you gaze upon that baby, do you see him as so, so much more than just a baby? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders from uh, the Christmas story here. We thank you for all that Christ is to every one of us. And my Father, I am grateful that Jesus Christ is indeed God. That he, could, that he did what only he could do.